So tonight we're going to continue in our, our uh, series. It's uh, Know Why You Believe. Uh, we're going to use the first scripture. is First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, it's, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And what we're looking at this month is just knowing what we believe and some of the things that we believe in, that if somebody asks you, hey, why do you believe in this? Why do you believe in that? We're able to give them an answer, able to say, this is why I believe. Uh, the first one was the authenticity of the Bible. Pastor Dan ministered that and giving us an understanding of the truth of God's word, that God's word is true, God's word is authentic, that yes, we can count on the word of God. Last week, Brother Manny talked about the triune God, the three in one, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that the three are one. So today, this evening, I'm going to uh, minister a message called Heaven, a place or a state of mind. What a state of mind is, is a person's mood or their, their, the, the effect that mood has on the way they act or think. It's basically a mindset. You know, it, it's a state of mind because we understand that heaven is real, but there are others that believe that heaven is not real. They believe that, hey, you know what, there's no God, there's no heaven, there's no, there's no afterlife, and, and, and that's the mindset they have. So we want to look at that, and the scripture I want to use tonight uh, is my text, is in John chapter 14. It says, in my father's house, and Jesus is speaking here, he says, in my father's house there are many dwelling places. If they're not so, I would have told you, because I'm going there to prepare a place to you. And Jesus is speaking here, he's saying, hey, my father's house, and he's speaking of heaven. And he's saying, hey, there's many dwelling places. There's a place for you. And he goes, if it wasn't true, I wouldn't have told you. He goes, I'm going to prepare this place for you. So I want to look at a couple things in this, in this scripture here that Jesus says. And the first thing is, he speaks of is his father's house. He says, in my father's house. One of the popular mindsets comes from a man by the name of Stephen Hawking. He was a man who was well-known for being a physicist, but he was even more well-known for being a, a self-professed or a professed uh, atheist. He had so many different ideas, uh, different uh, statements that he would make, and he had a huge following that people basically followed what he said. One of his statements, he says, I believe the simplest explanation is there is no God. No one created the universe, and no one directs our faith. This leads me to a profound realization that there probably is no heaven and no afterlife either. We have this one life to appreciate the grand design of the universe, and for this I am extremely grateful. In his mind, in his mindset, he really believed that there was no God. There was no heaven, and there was no one that created heaven and earth. Another statement he made is in regard to the afterlife. Someone asked him about, what do you believe about the afterlife, you know, once you die? And he says, I regard the brain as a computer. This is what he thinks, that our body is just like a computer. He says, which stops working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story or a fairy tale for those who are afraid of the dark. So we see in his opinion, he really believed that there was no creator. There was no savior. He basically says that what we believe in the word of God is nothing more than a fairy tale. We look in, at Paul, when Paul writes in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, he says, but have nothing to do with these irreverent folklore or silly myths, which you could basically say these silly mindsets. He says, it continues on, on the other hand, discipline yourself in the purpose of godliness. And if we're going to gain an understanding of what the Word of God says about heaven, we need to discipline ourselves in the Word of God. We need to, to understand what the Word of God says about heaven and what, what, and what 
happens, you know, when we leave this earth. So I want to look at a few things here because we need to understand that for us, heaven is real. We know that, that you know, this is the, the very beginning. We can look to the very beginning. The very first verse in the Bible says that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. There was, because one of the theories was that, you know, there was a beginning before the beginning and, and just on and on and on. But we need to understand the very beginning came with God. And God is the one that created the heaven and earth. In Psalms chapter 146, verse 5, it says, But joyful are those that have God of Israel as their helper. How many are joyful, joyful that God is your helper? Amen? God is our helper. And it says, Joyful are those that have God as their helper, who his hope is in the Lord their God. And again, it says here, He made heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He keeps every promise forever. So again, the writer of Psalms here is talking about how God is the creator of heaven and earth, that we get understanding that is truth. In Psalm 146, I'm sorry, Psalm 121 verse 2, it says, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Our help comes from God. Why? Because he's God who created everything. He's God who created the heaven and earth. One of the theories or one of the statements Stephen Hawking says is, and this is about us, everyone, including himself, he said, we are an advanced breed of monkeys on a minor planet on a very average star. He's basically saying that we're all monkeys in just an average world. There's nothing great about this world, but we understand that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God created something that just a great beauty in this world. And, and, and this is basically the mindset that he had. You know, the Bible, he talks about our belief as being a fairy tale. But the Bible says not to believe in these, these fables. Isaiah talks in Isaiah 37, 16. King Hezekiah is here. He's facing opposition. Uh, the Syrian army is coming against him, and they're mocking him and beginning to tell the people, don't let Hezekiah convince you that God is going to give you the land. Don't let him convince you. Don't let him get you to trust in the Lord. They're opposing him. Isaiah begins to instruct Hezekiah here, and he begins to go, and, I, and Hezekiah, he, he speaks or he prays here. He says, O Lord of the heaven's armies, God of Israel, you are thrown between the mighty cherubim. He says, you alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. He says, you are the one that created the heavens and the earth. So we see these men of God who, who realized and understood that, yes, it was God who created the heavens and the earth. The second thing Jesus talks about here, and I want to look at it, it's true. Oh, it's true. In John 14, 2, again, Jesus says, In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would not have told you. Jesus said, if heaven wasn't real, then I wouldn't have told you it was real. Jesus, again, we understand that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that Jesus is the truth. We know the truth sets us free. We, we understand that, that Jesus, you know, we, we talked about last week, or, or Manny spoke about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit being three as one, that, that, that God cannot lie. In, in Isaiah, I'm sorry, in Hebrews chapter 6, and so God given his promise both earth that those two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. So we understand that when Jesus speaks these words to us, and he begins to say, in my Father's house, he says, there is a heaven, because if it wasn't true, I would not have told you. Again, when you look at Jesus, when he speaks, again, it says he cannot lie. Father cannot lie. The son cannot lie. Again, there's nothing dishonest or dis misleading in the things that Jesus spoke to us. Jesus ain't going to mislead us. He's not going to speak things that are dishonest to us. When you look to your Bible, you see the red letters in there. Those are the words that Jesus spoke. And those are the words that you can count as truth. 
Those are the words that are truth, that Jesus says, I am the truth. We know the truth sets us free. And we understand that as Jesus speaks these words, it is his word that gives us instruction. It is his word that lets us know that heaven is a real place. Again, we know that he, he, he speaks in the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew. And he's speaking, he's talking about different topics, and he gets to the issue of prayer. And he begins, as he's speaking and ministering in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, pray then in this way. And he says, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus knew exactly where his Father was. He knew that he was in heaven. He knew that, that he was the one that created the heaven and the earth, and he knew exactly where his Father was. I didn't read my tablet, so <laughs> I got nervous that it wasn't going to work, so I said, I'm going to flip pages today. Praise God. Go through all kinds of mind trips, amen, before you get up here. In Psalm 115, verse 2 and 3, it says, why should the nation say then, now where is their God? Why should the nations tell us, where is their God? How many times have we heard people tell us, where is your God? People who do not believe, and we're ministering to them, and we're sharing with them the love of God, and they say, how can there be a God when there's so much sickness and disease in the world right now? How can, there be some, how can there be a God when there's so much hatred and violence and death? How can there be a God when there's you know, all these things taking place in the world, the, the earthquakes, the, the volcanoes? How can there be a God? He continues on. He says, where now is their God? He says, but our God is in heaven, and he does whatever he pleases. See, we need to understand when people try to come against us and tell us, you know what, there is no God. You know, we know that there's a God. Because Jesus spoke the truth. Jesus said, you know what, in my, you know, my Father's house, there's dwelling places for you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. There, that's truth that my Father's house is the kingdom of heaven. The third thing Jesus talks about is that he's there. Jesus says, in my Father's house, there are many dwelling places if it were not so, I would not have told you. He says, because I am going there to prepare a place for you. He says, I'm going to my father's house. After Jesus' death and resurrection, he appears to the disciples in, in, in the gospel of Mark. And we understand in the last chapter there, he's speaking and he's giving instruction. He's saying, you know, go out into all the world and preach the gospel. Go out and minister to the people. He says, you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. He says, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And he's giving them instruction. He's telling them, look, these are the things you're going to need to do. You're going to have the power to do these things. But go out and preach the word. And it says, and when the Lord Jesus has finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat down in the place of honor in God's right hand. Jesus was taken up and was seated at the right hand of God. He knew where his father's house was. He knew exactly where he was going. He spoke to the disciples and he told them, look at, I'm going. And in and, and, and this instance, he's taken up and he's seated at the right hand of God. In, second, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, I'm sorry, 316, it says, without question, this is a great mystery of our faith. Christ was revealed in a human body and vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels and announced to the nations. He was believed in throughout the world, and he was taken to heaven in glory. That Jesus was taken up to be with the Father at his right hand in heaven in glory. And this is what happens when people tell us, they try to discredit and say, no, there's, it just ain't true. 
You know, you know, we, 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 we just, again, like, we're just a bunch of monkeys, and, and we don't, you know, we don't exist, or our life just ends like that. But no, Jesus proved that he was taken up to heaven to be at the right hand of God. In Acts chapter 19, 1, 9, he's, again, it talks about Jesus. He's there uh, ministering to the people there. He's talking about how God was going to send the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, and they were going to receive power. And after he's done speaking, he says, after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud. Again, he's taken up into a cloud. They were watching, and they could not, no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. He says, men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? And this is the part. He says, Jesus has been taken to you into heaven. But someday he will return from heaven the same way you saw him go. So again, we see how these men are speaking and saying, this is where Jesus' place is. He's been taken to the, in, in, into heaven, but he's seated at the right hand of God. It says, look into our Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. For, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and is seated at the right hand of God, the throne of God. So we see scripture after scripture, it gives us a description, not only heaven, but where Jesus' place is. That Jesus spoke that I am going there. I'm going to be with the Father. I'm going to be seated at his right hand. But also when you see the picture of Jesus at the right hand, we also know that there's also someone that there that's trying to keep us from getting there. We look at Revelation chapter 12, and it says, Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, it has come at last, salvation and power in the kingdom of our God, in the authority of Christ, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. We see how Satan is there. They call him, some of the other versions call it the false accuser of the brethren. And the devil's there accusing us, making false statements about us to God. We see in the story of Job, how Job in, in chapter 1 and the Bible talks about how the angels came before the Lord and Satan came along with them. And God begins to speak to Satan and says, where have you come from? He says, I've just been roaming around. And Jesus, God begins to speak about Job. He says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? And he begins to say, he's a righteous man, a blessed man. And Satan begins to accuse him, make false statements about him. He says, the only reason he serves you and worships you is because you have a hedge around him. The only reason he lives for you is because you've blessed his life. If you were to take that all away, he, you, he would curse you. And this is what Satan does. He falsely accuses us before God. He begins to, 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 to uh, spread lies about us. You know, we understand he is the father of lies. He's a, like a roaring lion seeking someone he may be devour. He's out to steal, kill, and destroy lives. And it says that he's out there, again, making false accusations about the brothers and sisters in the Lord. But as he's doing this, we need to understand as Jesus is in the right hand of God, we also need to see what Jesus is doing at the same time. He says, therefore, he is able once and forever to save those to, who come to him, come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Not only is Jesus at the right hand of God, but he's interceding for us. He's there, interceding means to intervene for someone as Satan is making these false accusations and coming against us, Jesus is saying, no, I died for them. They gave their life. They, they believed in me and they accepted me. No, they died for me. He's just a liar. 
First John chapter two, verse one, my children, I am writing this so you will not so that you will not sin. But if anyone sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. Again, we see we have an advocate, somebody who pleads our case, somebody who stands before God in our, in our, in our, in our place. First John 2, 1, my children, I'm writing you this, so you will not sin. I'm sorry, wrong one. It says, who then will condemn us? No one. In Romans 8, 34, who will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. Jesus gave his life for us, but he also rose for us. He was resurrected. And he is sitting in the place of honor at the right hand of God, pleading for us or interceding for us. And again, we see the picture of Jesus. He's not only just there sitting by the right hand of God, but as Satan comes, he begins to, to try to slander us, begin to lie about us, try to, 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 to tell God things that we're doing. Jesus says, no, I've died for them. We, we, uh, if anybody knows my family, we're big college football fans. We're huge college football fans. We love college football. I like pro football, but I love college football. And my wife is right along their board with me, man. She loves college football. And it was funny because we were... New Year's Day, we actually sat and watched all three games, and they were good games, you know. We're like, and I'm thinking, tripping, oh man, she's sitting here watching it with me, and I was like, wow, praise God, you know. But over the, you know, my son is the one that got me into college football. My son Matthew, he was a huge UCLA fan. He just loved UCLA, you know, sports. And one day he he graduated in 2006, and I shared this before. What I would do when my son's graduated, I would give him money for a car. And that was when you could buy a car for a thousand bucks. You know, this is like 20 years ago. You know, now it's like, hey, go find a job and get your own car. You know, but, but you know, that was back then. You could you could find a car for a thousand bucks. So you know, my son's graduated. I would you know give him money for a car, and they'd go you know find a used car. But Matthew can't drive. He he's unable to drive. So I asked him, Matt, what do you want for for your, for your graduation? He graduated here from the school. And he goes, I want UCLA tickets. I want season tickets. All right. So me and wife said, all right, we'll do it. We'll, we'll get him season tickets. And we went, and we went through the season. It was fun. But the last game of the season was against USC. This was 2006. And that was the year where USC was supposed to go to the national championship game after they beat UCLA. What happened is UCLA upset them that game. And we were there at the Rose Bowl, and me and my wife were hooked after that. I mean, it was just hooked. For like 12 years, we, we, you know, we were there. We, 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 uh, we, we, we've been season ticket holders just for the last couple of years. But when we were sitting there in the stands... And what happens is, as soon as everybody jump up and start looking this way, we knew there was a fight going on. And I'm like, Matt, 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 fight, 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 fight. And everybody's whipping out their phones. You know, because everybody right away wants to see a fight. Everybody's like, ooh, there's a fight. Everybody jumps up, and they're all in the field. The action's going on this way. But we're all looking at the action going over here. And there's a good story here that kind of goes to that. And the story of Stephen. Stephen was ministering in, 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 in the book of Acts, and he's ministering, and He's doing great signs and wonders, and people are debating him, and they just can't com compete with him and the things he's saying. So people lie about him, just kind of like Satan does, lie about him, begin to say that he's blaspheming God, blaspheming Moses. They arrest him, and they bring him from in front of the council. And as he's there, and he's, he's speaking to the council, and he begins to just minister, begin to testify to them, so begin to share things with them. It says, and he, he makes a statement, and it really upsets them. Begins to talk about Jesus, and it says they became angry 
And they, you know, grind their, their fists. They're getting ready to attack him. And in the verse, in Acts 7, 55, he says, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, Look, I see heavens opened up, and the Son of Man is standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Jesus was standing. Jesus seen a spiritual fight that was about to go on. Jesus like, hey, there's a fight going on. Look what's going on here with Stephen. And he's there and he's interceding. And we understand that Stephen was stoned after that. But when we go through spiritual battles, Jesus is watching and seeing us. When we're going through the fire and we're going through a battle, especially spiritual wars, I really believe that Jesus is like, hey, look, at they're going through it right now. They're going through a fight. And he begins to get involved and begin to, to get involved spiritually. Again, while Satan's lying about us, Jesus is there. And then Jesus talks about a place for us. He says, in my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, because I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Jesus prepared a place for us. In John 14, 6, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. The way Jesus prepared the way is by giving his life for us. And by us accepting him, we have a way to the Father which is in heaven. In John eleven twenty five, Jesus told, he was talking about Martha here, when, when, when Lazarus, her brother, died. As I am the resurrection and the life, anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus says, even if you die, you're still going to live because our soul goes to be with the Lord. And we understand that Jesus is speaking this and he's trying to encourage her, but he's saying that, yeah, again, it's those that believe in me. In John 4, 11, it says, This Jesus is a stone that was reject, rejected by you, the builders which have become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which, which men must be saved. It's only through the name of Jesus Christ that we will be saved. And it's through a relationship because he's the one that prepared the way for us by giving his life as a ransom for us. We understood the penalty of sin, but Jesus died for that and paid that price for us. And as we believe in him and give our lives to him, we know that God, that we have a way to the Father. I was working with a, a, a guy, he was a young, young guy who started working with us. God, it's been about maybe 10, 15 years ago. You don't worry with us no more. But he started working, and another guy, they were, they, were, they were friends. They both got a job at the same time with us. And he had a, a sticker. Both of them had a sticker in the back of the car. You know what people used to put that um, in loving memory stickers? And it was, it was a little girl's name, and it was a, a young, it was, the ages was like about six, seven, eight, nine years old. So I asked him one day, hey, what, what is the sticker about? He goes, oh, he started to share with me. He said, well, that, that was my daughter. He goes, uh, she had leukemia. And she passed away a few years ago, and then his, his friend, he had the same sticker. So, okay, so, I, you know, we're just talking about it. And I started to notice he had a big tattoo of a hummingbird right here. So I never gave thought of it. He had a bunch of tattoos, but he had one of a humming, hummingbird right here. 
So one day, uh, I went to his house. He was giving me something. I think he was giving me a dog for my mom. And um, got to his house, and his wife was there. So he introduced me to his wife, and, you know, she turned around and walked away, and she had the same tattoo on the back of her neck, which was a hummingbird. So later on, I just kind of asked him, hey, what, what does that mean? What's, what's with the hummingbird? You know, just kind of curious. And he says that when my daughter died, and we were at her funeral at the, at the gravesite, it was just me, my wife, and my kids. And this hummingbird just started hovering over us and flying over us. And we started to realize that's our daughter. And I don't say this to make fun of him or laugh, but he really believed that his daughter was in that hummingbird. And it just stayed there with us and stayed with, with us. And this is one of the mindsets that people have of reincarnation. They get the mindset that if I live a good life, when I die, I'll leave this world a better place. If I leave this world a better place, I will come back as something something or someone better than I was before. And this is the mindset that some people have, that reincarnation is the way to go, that I just, I'm just good here on earth because I'm going to come back as something better. And I started to share with them. I said, you know what? I understand you feel this way. And he used to tell me, he, he, uh, he had, his dad was, uh, he told me his dad used to be a youth minister when he was young. And he wasn't at the time anymore. His parents got divorced, and he said his dad, you know, um, he would stay with his mom, but he's, and I, so I had, I had the feeling you, you have some sense of understanding of the word of God. So I began to share with them, say, look at, you know, I understand you feel that way, but that's just not true. Your daughter's not in that hummingbird. You need to understand the Bible tells us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That when we die and our bodies die, our soul goes to be with God. And I shared with them, I said, look, God can give you things to remind you of your daughter. But your daughter's in heaven. Your daughter's in the place, you know, that, that, that God created for us. And I don't know if he received it or not. He was just listening to me. But this is the mindset that many people have, that they, they really believe that, 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 that they just come back as something else. I was, uh, for many of you know, we, we have four boys. My oldest is getting up there. I can't believe he's almost 40, man. I feel really old now. But I got four boys, but a lot of people don't know that we had a daughter. Um, I never talk about this to anybody, but God was just really dealing with me. So if I get a little emotional, but I always remember before I got saved, I always told my wife, I do not want any girls. All I want is boys. And the reason why is my sister went through a teenage phase and my God, and I'm serious. I'm serious. I would see how she would break my dad's heart. And I said, I don't ever want to go through that. Because my dad was such a gentleman. He always tell me, you don't hit a girl. You don't hit a girl. He'd tell me, you know, growing up, you never hit a woman. Because if you get mad with them, you just get in your car, you go for a ride, cool off, and come home. And I remember times that my dad would take the ride and come home. But I always remember thinking that. I don't want a daughter because I don't know what I'd do if she started rebelling like my sister. My sister's great. You know, she, did, she just said that, you know, that teenage phase, you know, they just, you know, they, they go through it. But I always remember the look my dad would have on his face. His heart would be broken for some of the things she would do. And I remember when Tina got pregnant. We had our four boys already. Tina got pregnant. And Marty Cisneros used to always tell me, you're going to have a little girl. You're going to have a little girl. I'm praying you have a little girl. 
Like, nah, I, I'm good. I, I, I'm just good with boys. But boys, before I was saved, the old mindset, if they got out of line, you just take them behind the woodshed and you just beat it out of them. That was before I was saved. That was before I was saved. Now it was just about, amen? Not now, but back then. But I, I always remember Marty would always tell me, you're going to have a girl. I'm praying you have a girl. And I'm like, no, no, no. But God started changing my heart. God started changing my heart. So I remember when my daughter was born, well, it was before gender reveals and all that stuff. We used to just wait till we had the baby to find out what the baby was. But it was a little girl. And, man, there was so much joy, not only in our home, but in the church. People were so excited for us that we had a little girl. And one night we were having Bible study, very first Bible study we had. We opened our home for the very first time. We are having Bible studies before we late groups. It was just a home Bible study. Had a good Bible study, and that night, you know, everything went great. I remember I woke up the next morning, and I just woke up like, just like this. Just woke up. And I just went to the bassinet for whatever reason, and I picked her up, and she was the worst shade of blue you could ever imagine. She was about a month old, and, and, and I was devastated. Went to the hospital with the paramedics. Took her in the emergency room, and... Tina made her way over to the hospital, and I remember these words that I never want to ever hear again. It's, I'm sorry we did everything we could. And my heart was broken, and I was devastated, and I was hurting because it was like, God, you know, because the devil starts lying to me. Why did God give it to you if he was going to take her right away? That's your God. And I remember, no, and I just kept remember praying, and people were praying for me, and I just stay encouraged and I remember at my daughter's, oh, even my, my mom, my dad told me, my grandmother, she asked my dad, was she baptized? Because she was religious, very, very faithful to her religion. And she said, because if she wasn't baptized, she didn't go to heaven. And that's like, well, no, that's not true. And Pastor Sergio conducted our, our officiated my daughter's funeral, and we were there, and he gave me this scripture. King David, at the time, had lost his son, and Prior to that, he was sick, and he was fasting and praying and believing God, and it says that he got news that the son had died. And he says that he went and ate, and he began to wash up, and, and then people came to him and said, why are, you, why are you eating now that your child is dying? Why aren't you mourning? And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, Pastor Sergio gave me this verse. He says, but why should I fast when he has died? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day because he cannot return to me. See, David knew where his son was. He was in heaven with the father. He says, yes, I am going to go to the child because the child can't come back to me. There is no reincarnation. There is no, you know, oh, if I'm a better person, if I'm a good person, I'll come back as something. No, no. We have an opportunity to make it the kingdom of heaven through a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Christ Jesus lives, and we eagerly are waiting for him to return as our Savior. In Luke 10, 20, Jesus sends out the 70. He tells them, you know, you have authority to go preach, go minister. They come back to him, and they're excited. They're telling Jesus, man, even the demons were subject to us in your name. And Jesus spoke this to him, and he's saying, he says, but don't rejoice because evil spirits obey your voice. He says, rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Rejoice because you are a citizen of heaven. Rejoice that when you 
pass from this life into the next. It's going to be into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because Jesus Christ prepared a way for us. I was watching some testimonies online of some people who died and went to heaven and then came back to earth. We had Dean Braxton here a couple months ago. But there was another individual. His name was John Burke. He wrote a book called Imagine Heaven. What it was, he said over 30 years, he interviewed over 1,000 people who had died, gone to heaven, and came back to earth. And he made this statement in, in one of his quotes. He says, even though they vary a fair amount, he's talking about people's experience, and even though they had different experiences, and he says one of the reasons I believe is because they were just shown different parts of heaven. He says, even though they vary a fair amount, these accounts have a common core and incredibly, it's entirely consistent what we're told about the afterlife in the Bible. He says these stories are consistent on what we read. The stories of these people that, 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 I, uh, that I, I interviewed, they'll have this, the, the same outcome, that heaven is real. One of the common themes is the beauty of heaven. In 2 Corinthians 2.9, it says, No eye has seen some of them describe the beauty of heaven, the colors that we've never even seen. This is the beauty of all the different colors and, and, and just the beauty of heaven. Eye has not seen nor ear has heard. Some of them talk about the worship, the music that we have never heard before. The music, he says, that, that some of the people talked about was the music. He says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined not even in our wildest dreams can we imagine what heaven is like. People that went and he interviewed, they said that they would come back and say, I had an idea of heaven, but it was nothing like I ever imagined. He says, no eye has seen, no ears heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place. And it's something that we cannot even imagine what God has prepared for us. Another common thing is the overwhelming love that they felt in heaven. Some talk about having reunions with those that gone on before them. But just the overwhelming love that they felt there. And this is so consistent with the nature of God, God's character in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. They said that the love was just so incredible. And this is exactly what God did for He loved us so much that he gave his son for us. In Romans 8, 38, he said, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Death cannot separate us from God. Death is not the end for us. And it cannot separate us from God's love. God loved us so much. The, plat the platform can make their way up. I know many have suffered the painful loss of a loved one. We all have. I mean, just in these last couple of years, but all, so, so many of us, we've lost, you know, grandparents. Some have lost our parents. Some have lost children like myself. You know, it, it, it's a painful thing. Siblings, brothers and sisters, close friends have gone on to be with the Lord. And yes, our hearts are broken. Cried many tears over their loss, over their going to be with the Lord. Even the Bible says that even Jesus wept over Lazarus. When it talks about the story of Jesus going there to, 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 to the tomb where Lazarus was laid, 
The Bible says that Jesus wept. So the tears are real. The tears are understandable. But one of the things we do is we beat ourselves with if, I only, if only I. We beat ourselves with that statement, if I only did things differently. If only, you know, especially for those that had a family member that was in the hospital maybe. If I only tried some other treatment. If I only did this or that, maybe it'd be different. If I only spent more time with them. I think it's one of the biggest if onlys we have. If I only spent more time with them. If I only had more time. If only would have told them that I loved them. What is the if only that you beat yourself up with? One of the common things that they spoke of is that when God says, I'm sending you back, he says, why are you sending me back? I want to stay here. Why are you sending me? Because I have an assignment for you. I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you to go back. But we look at our loved ones knowing where they are. I think all that if I only doesn't really matter to them. It really doesn't matter to them. The only thing that matters to them is that we make it to heaven ourselves. That we make it to heaven. And a lot of, I still feel that there's some that are still, after many years, we still beat ourselves up. If I only did this, if I only did that, if I only would have done this and that. But we need to understand that when God calls us home, it's just our time. You know, just yesterday, Monday night, I got a text from one of my staff at work. His wife had been battling cancer for a number of years. She went into remission, but it came back. And he texts me Monday night. He says, hey, hey, Robert, is it all right if I take the week off? My wife's back in the hospital. He says, I'll keep you updated. I said, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Do whatever you got to do. Tuesday, because I, I do payroll, so uh, payroll's due today. So I text him and say, hey, I just want to know what do you want to do as far as you want to sick time, vacation time, floater, whatever you want to do. What do you want to do? I didn't hear back from him. About 1 o'clock, he calls me, and he's crying. And I said, so what's wrong? He goes, I just want to let you know my wife passed away this morning. God, my heart sunk. My heart broke for him. We didn't understand. We don't know. And he's a young guy. And I started telling the rest of our staff, and they were just broken for him. Because he was, he's, he's as old as my oldest son. Young guy. Such a good guy. But we just never know when our time is coming. And we don't know when our loved ones come. But it's just when God calls us home, he calls us home. There's a story I read about a ship that sets sails in the great blue ocean. It spreads out of sails into the morning breeze. People on the shore are watching it as it goes further and further into the sea. And right when the ocean meets the sky, it's just basically a white speck. Then someone from the crowd says, well, there, they are gone. Someone says, gone where? And he answers, gone from my sight onto their journey. Our loved ones have gone on to their final journey. And we can say, there, they are gone. And it hurts to say that. But under the end of, the end of that journey, there are those who have gone on before us. Those have won their victory in Jesus. Those that went on to victory before us. And as they go out of our sight, they are on the other side saying, here they come. And with much joy, love, and with open arms, they say, welcome home. This should be a goal for every one of us, knowing that heaven is real. Knowing that we, you know, 
we are not reincarnated and know that, we, we, that the existence of God is real, this should be the goal for every one of us to hear those precious war, words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well done. Welcome into my home. Why don't we stand tonight? Let's bow our heads.